This morning we're going to find ourselves in chapter 3. And to begin with, I'd just like to read it, and then we'll kind of do a, a backward glance, a summary of how we've gotten up to where we are before we launch into today's text. All right, so James chapter 3, we're going to read verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, as we have looked this morning at this text, we realize that you are focusing in on something we have desperate need of, and that is true wisdom. How often you've reminded me of there in Proverbs chapter 1, where wisdom goes out into the streets, and it says that she's shouting out, calling to all those passing by that they would turn to listen to what she has to say. And yet so many in, in the Scriptures... It says we're just passing by and refuse to listen. And Lord, we must wonder ourselves, are we listening to what You have to say? There are so many voices vying for our attention. There's so much supposed wisdom and knowledge and information being shoved our way, and yet, what to do with it all? And What's the right path to take? But we thank You for that verse that was quoted by the young people this morning. Even though the mind of man plans his way the Lord, You know how to step in and direct our paths that we may understand Your will, Your ways. And we ask, Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, that You would do that. That You would just shine the spotlight from Your Word into our lives so we can see where perhaps we're, we're going in the wrong direction. Perhaps we're following the world's wisdom rather than Your wisdom and that, that You would show us the way. Your Word says concerning itself, that Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our paths. You want to direct us. And so we thank You for giving us Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You prepare our hearts to receive what You have to say to us. We pray for the young people in their Sunday school rooms that, that You would prepare their hearts to, to receive the lessons that they're receiving, that we all may be built up and drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that all things would be done for His honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm calling today's message two kinds of wisdom because they're both mentioned in this passage. We see wisdom from above mentioned and wisdom that is not from above, but I've just called it earthly wisdom. They're both out there. And so it's not just true in our day, it was true in theirs. That's the whole reason James comes to this passage, right? He says that there are those who are teachers. Chapter 3 began with this challenge to let not many of you become teachers because there's a high standard of judgment. 
we put ourselves in the place where we will be accountable to God and to others for the things that, that we say and do that influence others. And you know, it's easy for us to say, well, you're the preacher up front. You're the one working with the youth group. You're the teacher and leaders he's talking about, and, 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 and that's for you, so you better be careful. But you know, John Maxwell, a Christian author and pastor who has uh, dedicated his life to training leaders, has pretty much said this. Each and every one of us, due to the relationships that we have, whether it be in our family, our neighborhood, our workplace, our school, probably have up to 70 people that we have regular interaction with, that we have influence in their lives. So what are they learning from us? As they look at our lives, see, what he says here in, cha in chapter 3, verse 13 is, who is wise and understanding among you? You think you're going in the right direction? You think you're leading people in the right way? Well, he says, let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of of wisdom. He says there's some proof, some evidence that should be there that will point to the truth of whether we are really operating according to true wisdom. Is it God's wisdom, wisdom from above, or is it that earthly wisdom? Now, speaking of this, you know, we're here in chapter 3, but I got it. Well, I'll just come back to this. I was going to kind of give that over, overview leading up to it, but we're coming back to that because, see, in today's outline, when we're talking about wisdom, we're going to ask five questions. This is going to be our outline guiding us through our message today. And so, although we're focusing on these verses 13 through 18, it's going to have to take us back. And the first question is going to be, what again is wisdom itself? If we're going to talk about wisdom, let's define the terms. What is wisdom? Second question we're going to look at is, why do we need it? Why all this focus on wisdom? Why is it so important? Where can we get it? And how can I know when I have it? Right? You're telling me to go get it, but even if I say I'm going to start seeking for it, right? you're going to tell me where I can go get it, but then how do I know when I've got it? And our last question then is what difference does it really make? And uh, these last three questions come directly from this passage, just so you know where we're going, right? Where can we get it? There are two different origins of wisdom. There's the wisdom from above and the earthly wisdom. They're very much contrasted in this very text, right? So where are we going to go to get it? Well, it depends on which kind you want. But uh, if you want heavenly wisdom, we're going to take a look at where he says to go. How can I know when I've got it? How will I recognize it? It's highlighted here the very different ways that wisdom operates in our day-to-day -day lives what it looks like when it's functioning. And then the last question, what difference does it make? What is the outcome or the result of having wisdom or not having true wisdom? That's borne out in this passage as well. So the first two are going to be our review and the last three are going to come directly from this text. So what is wisdom? I think it was Larry who was here several weeks ago who I didn't exactly write it down, but he talked about having skill for living life. The ability to make wise... You can't define the term using the same words, right? To make good decisions, to live life well. And that's, that's the essence of the definitions that I found. The right use or exercise of knowledge. See, now, the Bible differentiates from merely having knowledge. And this is what's important for you and me, right? They say that the knowledge base in our world, they used to say it doubled every seven years. 
now they're talking about every year and a half to two years, the amount of knowledge that's out in the world for us to try to, to have before us is doubling and doubling and doubling, and it's doubling faster. So it's not just about having knowledge. And a friend used to say, God's not going to say well said or well known, but what will he say? We hope, well done. And so it's the right use of that knowledge. And that's where this other definition comes in. Discerning or judging what is the best or the most just or the most proper and useful and then putting it into practice, right? So as you face a situation in life and you need wisdom, what you want to do is have the right knowledge, but that's not enough. Let him prove by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. It's that exercise or use of it that is key. Lest we think that's just a definition that man has made, if you'll just keep your place here in James 3, I'd like to point you back to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, the book of James was written, he tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. The early Christians began, followers of Christ, after his resurrection, were Jewish. But as the, the, the Jewish population who rejected the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, they began to persecute the Christians and they were scattered. They were driven all over the Roman Empire. And so James wrote this letter to encourage them in their walk in spite of their trials. And so that's James's writing. Well, you know, Hebrews is much the same. Now there's debate over who the actual author of Hebrews is, but notice it's written to the Hebrews. They were in danger of forsaking Christ and going back to the Old Testament practices, which were all shadows before Christ. And so Hebrews was written to encourage them not to give up and to forsake Christ. And so they were struggling. And in Hebrews chapter 5, he tells them, I have so much I want to tell you. But he says at the end of verse 11, you've become dull of hearing. He says, you, you can't listen to what I have to say. For although, verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers yourselves, you need someone to teach you again the very elementary principles of the oracles of God. He says, you, gotta, you need someone to take you back to spiritual kindergarten. Because you've come to need milk and not solid food. Let's go back to the bottle, he says. right? But everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But notice this, he says, solid food what he says they should be ready for, belongs to those who are of full age. This is those who are mature in their walk with God. But he describes those, and this is what I want us to focus in on. Those who are of full age, mature, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you catch that now? There is an experiential part of this whole process of becoming mature in Christ. It's not enough to come here and hear the messages and write notes. I recommend that. Because we, we, we retain a lot more if we hear it and we are actively writing and then we actually see it. So we're using three different means of it getting into our brain and it's helpful, we can look back to it. But you see, he says, those who are mature are those because of reason of use. Practice, are exercising what they're... They're doing something with what they're hearing and it says, they are now learning to discern both good and evil. They're learning to use that knowledge that they're gaining. That is the description from the Bible of one who is a mature Christian. And that's what James is pointing them to. That's what wisdom is. Why do we need it? Well, take a look at James chapter 1. As soon as he says, I'm writing to you who are scattered, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, 
knowing that this testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. He says, you've got to cooperate with God in letting Him make this process work in your life so that you may become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect and complete are two synonyms that he's using for becoming full-grown. You're perfectly full-grown. You are completely grown, mature in your relationship with God. So he says, yes, you're encountering all these various trials, but God wants to work through them, so let Him have His perfect work in you. But he says... uh, If any of you lacks what? Wisdom. Ask of God. Why do we need it? We live in a fallen, broken world with a lot of problems. And we can't possibly have all the insight we need in order to to wisely function as we ought in this world. And so God has placed us in a body, right? He says, just like my hand can't do it all, I need my feet. Even with all that my hands and feet can do, I've got to have these internal organs. And each function, each part of the body has a separate duty so that all of the parts working together can help one another to grow up. And, he's, and the Bible tells us we need one another. We need God, His help, to give us wisdom. So we're in an imperfect world. Now, you know, the Bible commands us to get it. Proverbs 4, 7 says, This is the principal thing. This is the most important thing that I want you to get. Get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. And then he repeats it again. Get wisdom. They're commands. God's commanding us to get wisdom. And then, of course, he says, if you lack it, ask God for it, because he likes giving it to us. Well, it's also good for us. I was reading Proverbs 2, where God talks about wisdom. And it says, happy is the one who gets wisdom. And you read down, it talks about how He spares us from troubles. He keeps us from going off in the wrong directions and so that He can bring peace and happiness into our lives. Now, that doesn't always mean smile, ha, ha, ha. But, you know, Solomon said in in Ecclesiastes 12, he says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Now, for those of us who no longer maybe consider ourselves youth, youth, that means don't waste any time. So we have less time to waste. He says, remember the Lord now before the evil days come and you say, I have no pleasure in them. If we forsake the Lord's teaching on wisdom, we will not have pleasure in our lives. We'll have troubles multiplying. And, but he says he wants us to have a life of peace and happiness. So wisdom is important. He's talked about various areas of life where we need to practice and have God's insight. Here, already in James, he's talked about trials He's talked about facing temptations so that we don't look in the wrong place. We don't place the blame in the wrong place. We realize we've got problems. Our own bodies, we're we're tempted to go in the wrong directions. And so God wants to help us through His Word to help us to be on the right path. He's warned us against partiality, saying we're following God and our works are not following our faith. And now we're here in chapter 3. So, if we need wisdom, where are we going to get it? We've already noted there are two kinds of wisdom. And so it depends on which kind you want, where you're going to get it. And that reminded me of the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. I just love that story. If you've never read it, after you're done reading your Bible, I'd encourage you to take a look at the story. It's really just an extended parable or metaphor of the Christian life. And it follows a man named Pilgrim 
from his home in the city of destruction as he learns that he's a sinner and he realizes that the judgment of God is upon him and he's searching for the answer. He starts crying out, what can I do to be saved? I'm going to be destroyed with my city and the wrath of God and I don't want to be destroyed and he doesn't know the answer. And so he finds himself realizing he has a need, he needs the answer and he doesn't know what it is. That's a need for wisdom, right? And so while he's out walking... The story goes that he runs into a man called Evangelist. Now, he happens to be a Christian, and so he talks to Pilgrim, and he tells him where he needs to go. He says, you've got this burden, you need help getting rid of it? No problem. He says, you see that little narrow gate over there in the distance? He says, no. Well, well, do you see that shining light? Well, yeah, I think I see the light. He says, you keep that light in your eye, and you go on up to it, towards it, and eventually you're going to see the narrow gate, and there you'll receive information as to how you'll get rid of that burden on your back. And so, Pilgrim, okay, okay. So he hears the message from the evangelist as to where he needs to go. And then he starts walking. And the way, it's hard. He's got this big weight on his back and he's stumbling and he falls into the slew of despond and he's despairing. He's getting depressed and he's, he's tempted to give up. And as he's calling for help, God sends help and he gets out of the mud. But, you know, it's no sooner does he get out of that mud when suddenly he meets another man by the name of Worldly Wise Man. Worldly Wise Man comes along and says, Oh, man, where'd you get all this dirt on you? And... Pilgrim recounts all of his woes and miseries as he's set out to try to find relief from this burden that he's got. And he wants to find relief from it. And worldly wise men turns to him and says, wrong picture. He says, oh, what are you doing? I've got a much better way to get rid of that burden. You can do it faster, easier, with less effort. And it's a much shorter path. He says, I've got a better solution for you. And so he begins to tell him about this other path where he can go up this hill to Mr. Morality's house and he will, he will teach him how to get rid of that burden. And so he says, well, listen, he seems like a nice guy. He seems to want what's best in my interest, so if it's an easier, quicker, better way, let's go for it. And so he begins to journey up this mountain, not realizing that this mountain is like a volcano and it's ready to fall in on him and he's about to be destroyed. Well, he gets to the point where he's afraid to keep going. And who should he run into but evangelist? And evangelist says, what are you doing here? I pointed you in the right way. And uh, Pilgrim is very embarrassed because he said, I know you told me, but this man seemed to know what he was talking about. And, and, um, and so he told me what he said would be a better way. And, and evangelist begins to show him from the Word of God. He says, no. See, He doesn't believe in the Word of God. He only believes in what his eyes can see and what his mind can figure out. And you know, the proverb says this in two places, 16.25 and 12.14. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of destruction. But see, God's will and God's ways are different. The Bible says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we've got to learn to listen to God's Word so we can get His wisdom. And so we're warned by the Apostle John in 1 John 4. He says, don't believe every spirit. Test them to see whether they are of God. And so you see, it's just like what I remember in my days when I was on the wrestling team. It's my first year. And I was going against guys who knew more what they were doing than me. And, but this one particular match, 
he was also a first year wrestler and um, actually you know what it was my very first match and it was the only one we went the whole three periods is it two minutes or three minutes long each time the longest six or eight minutes of my life seemed like everything went in slow motion but I remember being out there on the mat with this guy and we're trying to get each other off our back and we're trying to pin each other and no one is seeming to win and uh, after the three periods are over I'm coming off the mat and my coach he's like red in the face he's yelling at me he's like why didn't you listen to me I was telling you what to do and you didn't do anything and, and, and I suddenly thought back and I thought he was talking to me I don't remember hearing anything I mean, I don't even remember the yelling crowd even, much less my coach's voice. All I could hear was the stirrings in my own mind thinking, what can I do? I didn't hear anything. And I said, you know, his voice was out there and I wasn't listening. And it was effort to stop in the middle of what I was doing and pick up my head and look towards the coach try to make out what his words, his mouth is moving and hear, listen for his voice. Okay. And then I'd try that. And and it's not working. Oh, the coach. But it's so much like life. How much do I get so involved in what I'm doing? I'm trying to figure out my problem. I'm trying harder. I haven't prayed. I haven't asked God for wisdom. Just trying harder. And God's saying, why aren't you listening to my counsel. I want to help you. And you're not listening. So we've got to learn to go to the right place. There's two different kinds of wisdom. They're both calling out to you. And we've got to learn which one to listen to. Why is it no one hears wisdom crying out on the streets? Perhaps there's a lot of other loud voices calling and no one's listening. Okay, so we've got the two different kinds of wisdom. Where does this first wisdom come from? The Bible says it comes from God. James 1, we already looked at. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. Proverbs 1 says it flat out. Fear the Lord. Turn to Him. Because the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. If you really want the wisdom, the skill for living life the right way, before those days come when you say, I have no pleasure in my life, we need to remember the Lord. Look up to Him for the wisdom. And that's what the essence of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. He will direct your paths. He'll give you the wisdom. James 1 says He enjoys giving it to us. So if you want wisdom from above, listen, you've got to go to God. And you know, He's going to give it to us in different ways. Sometimes He gives it to me when I'm praying. But I've got to say this, sometimes I've prayed and I'm still not getting the answers. And the Lord waits until I've asked someone else to pray with me. Sometimes it's my wife. Sometimes it's someone here at the chapel. Sometimes it's someone I may call and just say, listen, will you pray with me? And sometimes I'm burdened about something and I've asked the Lord for help, but it's not until I'm with someone praying. And so we don't do it alone. Right? The Lord wants to give us help. He wants to give us wisdom. His Word We've already said His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light into our paths. And so the Lord will send people our way to help us, godly people, because you see, they won't be leaning on their own understanding, they'll be leaning on God's Word. But you know, a lot of people have advice. And we have to be careful who we go for advice to. 
There's a lot of people who have a vested interest. They're biased. And they want to tell us what they want us to hear. What they want us to do because it benefits them. It's like asking a sales guy whether his product is good. You know, you go look at houses and every single house you go into, the real estate agent tells you everything so wonderful about it. And after a while you wonder, does he really believe that? Or is he just saying that? Well, we have to be careful. There's a lot of biased people out there. Because, see, look, where does wisdom not from above? The Bible says in this passage, it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. What does that mean? Now, Ephesians 2 says it in different words, but it mentions the same three things. Right? Ephesians 2 says, in verses 2 and 3, he says that you used to walk according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. If you look real close, you see that the same three things mentioned in this passage go right along with what is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So the... enemies that the Bible talks about that were keeping us from Christ to begin with are still working against us to give us false wisdom, worldly wisdom that is not from above to keep us from living a life the way God wants us to. Let's look at some examples. What is earthly wisdom? Well, it's human reasoning. Worldly wise man told him, if you, if you do good works, Mr. Morality will teach you how to get rid of the burden, the guilt of your sin, and you'll be okay. Sound like the world? If I'm good enough, God will let me in. That's the first place people fall into it. But what about those of us who are believers, right? We're not exempt. We see in Babel, we don't, we don't accept God's teaching to multiply and fill the earth. No, we're going to stay here and we're going to build a tower up to the sky. How'd that work for him? Not so good, did it? Right? Human reasoning. Saul says, listen, David, if you're going to go against Goliath, you need this armor. David didn't need the armor. He was looking to the Lord, and the Lord had equipped him with what he needed. And so he didn't take the armor. In Acts 27, the Romans, they're trying to set sail, and they said, we've got to go before the winter comes. And, and, and God had already told Paul, if you, if you leave, you know, the ship's going to be destroyed. Human reasoning, revelation of God. Didn't work good for them either, did it? Their, their ship was broken to pieces. Human reasoning. But how often are we faced with human reasoning? Doesn't always go along with God's Revelation. When we're being accused of something, Jesus' example was don't try to defend yourself. You just keep looking to the Lord and you be faithful. You find yourself in a scrape. We wanted to. There's a lot of human reasoning. You know, you're filling out your tax forms and and uh, you start looking for extra exemptions to fill out or. Or, you know, you don't really qualify for this fully, but if I, re- if, I, if, I, if I look at it this way, you know, that's human reasoning. And it's earthly. It's the wisdom not from above. How about sensual? The, the, the natural desires of our flesh can skew our thinking. Abram was in a, in a famine, and he's like, there's nothing here, so I'm going to go down to Egypt. God didn't tell him to. But his emotions, his fear, his hunger, those things were driving him. Right? Matthew 14, uh, the disciples were telling Jesus, listen, send the people away. You know, uh, 
they need something to eat, and they're tired. They've been out there all day, and they came to be alone with Jesus because John the Baptist had been beheaded, and, and we're not alone. We didn't get a chance to rest, and here's all these people. Send them away! And you know, here was Jesus. He says he went to be alone because he had heard that John the Baptist was beheaded, and the multitudes came, and he's, it says he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he spent the whole day with them. And then, he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They didn't have the faith to see what he was trying to do, so he actually fed the 5,000 that day. This is the day he wanted to be alone. And the disciples were saying, listen, (laughs) send them away. The Lord had a different plan. Same thing when Jesus was, uh, oh, wrong one. That was being driven by the lust of our flesh, the desires of our flesh. The demonic uh, uh, origin of wisdom that is not from heaven. Genesis 3, look, he reasons with Eve to begin to doubt God's character, to doubt God's word, to deny God's word. And so he is putting thoughts in her mind to give her bad wisdom that is demonic. And it worked, didn't it? Matthew 16, Jesus turns to Peter when Peter's saying, you're not going to die? And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Not that he's calling Peter Satan, but where's it coming from? The wisdom of his thinking wasn't just his own human reasoning, although it surely went along with it, but Satan was trying to direct his thinking. And that's what he did to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. But what saved the Lord? He didn't call on miraculous power because he was divine. He went to God's Word. He said, man should not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he leaned on God's Word to get wisdom from above, and it rescued him. So if you want wisdom, where are you going to get it? Well, there's two different places that's trying to give you wisdom, but the wisdom from above is the one from God, the one that we need. How do we know when we get it? Well, as we said, it shows itself in our conduct, and so they operate differently. And how does wisdom that's not from above conduct itself? Now we're back in James chapter 3. We need to read these words. He says, If you have bitter envy, verse 14, and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Just look at the the way that you are operating in the midst of that trial and whatever you're going through, or the way the person who's giving you advice is trying to counsel you. Do they have bitter envy in their hearts? Are they contentious, creating a rivalry between you and someone else? Are they stirring up strife? Is there jealousy or envy against someone that's motivating what they're telling you? He says that's the way that the wisdom that's not from above operates. There's self-seeking in the hearts. It creates factions. It's like one who tries to pull off in a different direction. We see a lot of that with the politicians during, during election time coming up, right? They're trying to pull everyone away from the other candidates to themselves. That's what's motivating the things that they say and do sometimes, right? And we have to cut through that. Where is he really coming from? Well, these are signs of wisdom that is not from above. It comes with a spirit of boastfulness. He says, do not boast and lie against the truth. There, there is a, an arrogance or a proud spirit that, that, that is consumed with self, that pushes themselves up to try to gain influence in your eyes and others, that is suspect in worldly wisdom. That's the way it conducts itself. And also says, and lie against the truth. Right? That could be saying one thing and doing another, 
or the very actions that you're uh, uh, you say you want someone's best interest, but really you're lying. It's not the truth because you've got this self-seeking. This is the way that the wisdom from not from above, the earthly, worldly wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic conducts itself. And it's hard to see sometimes. But if we can, if we can ho- hold that in our minds, well, we also consider then, what is the wisdom from above? How does it conduct itself? It says, first of all, it's pure. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't just say this is the first thing on the list. It's basically, this is the top priority. This is the general, this is the general uh, 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 character. It's going to be pure. It's not going to be shady. It's going to be black and white. doesn't make it easy. Maybe we'll pay more taxes. It's tax season. Looking through receipts, it's on my mind, but... You know, in relationships, and you're trying to resolve what's going on. Is it self-seeking, boastful, trying, creating divisions, or is it pure, clean, free of fault? Is that the wisdom you're getting? He says, then comes peaceableness. It's gentle and willing to yield. It's not going to push for its own. It wants what is right. Remember, wisdom is seeking what is best and pure and right, and then wants to do that. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy. This is all in verses 17 and 18. This is the way it describes it. This is the wisdom that comes from above. And when we don't know which is which and we start to look through this list, it will help us to identify whether the wisdom we're we're receiving, the advice we're receiving, is God's wisdom or not. What difference does it make? What is the outcome of the wisdom we choose to operate under? Well, they're both described for us in this passage also. It says that the wisdom that is not from above results in, notice this, it's in verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, that's what verse 14 said, is characteristic of in the way the wisdom not from above operates. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion. That's a disorder that comes from instability. You know, it's the same word that it said back in chapter 1. Remember what it said? If you ask God for wisdom, don't doubt. You can have 100% confidence that God will give you the wisdom you need for the situation that you're dealing with. Now, I don't mean just what's the best business reaction to this situation. Okay? Look, when Jesus asked for his Father's help in the garden, it wasn't about, Lord, take away the cross. He did ask that, right? He said, Father, if there's any other way... Let this cup pass from me. I know this cross is coming. I'm under a severe anxiety. If there's any other way, let's go that way. But, nevertheless, not what I will, but I want what you will to be done. Now, he had to pray this three times. Maybe you have to pray multiple times about what you're going through. But I want to notice this. Sometimes we're looking for the situation to change. We're waiting to figure out how to solve the problem so that it will change. And so we're looking for external solutions. But if we're careful in the context, what he's saying is, yes, you've got various trials that are, that are attacking your life, but he says, I want you to have a different attitude in those situations so that you can become better and not bitter. And so if you don't know how to do that, ask for wisdom and God will give it. 
And I remember there was a job that I had, and I hated getting up out of bed in the morning to make myself go there. And yet I knew God had put me in that job, and I knew that I couldn't leave it. And so God said to me, well, are you going to stay there and pout for the next two years if I leave you there? Well, I really wanted to just kind of change things. Well, he said, you're there. It's not changing. You need to change. And I can help you. I knew it was right. It says it right here, right? And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to have to study James because I don't know how to do this. But please give me that wisdom. Now, it took months. Months. And my boss didn't change. As a matter of fact, he got more cranky. Because the guy who hired me left no sooner than he hired me. And this guy came in and nothing I could do pleased him. But you know, I remember the day, months later, when in the midst of an intense day, I said, Lord, I mean, because I had been praying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And I said, you've done it. I'm not getting bitter here. I'm okay with the fact that I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm representing you well. Everyone else can see the way this guy's riding me. And it's honoring to you. And, and, and I wasn't bitter. The Lord had made me better. He had put this into practice in my life. And it made me peaceable in the midst of that. Interestingly enough, the situation finally changed after God helped me to pass the test of this trial. So the answer of calling out to wisdom is not just solve the problem out there. Solve the problem in here. I need wisdom so that I can become more like Jesus in the midst of the trials that this life has. For Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He has the wisdom. He received it from the Father. I'm still amazed. Here he was in distress, bleeding, blood through his his sweat glands because of the stress on the edge of death. And after praying three seasons of prayer, I don't know how many hours that took, but when, when the soldiers came, the cross is still coming. He knows it's still coming. He says, okay guys, get up. Here comes my betrayer. And he's at perfect peace. doesn't make sense. It's wisdom from above. It rises above the circumstances and fills our heart from the Spirit of God. And it doesn't result in the... In- oh, I'm sorry. This is where I was coming back to from James 1, right? It says, you ask, for, ask God for wisdom... You don't have to doubt. He says, if you're doubting, you're going to become like that cork being tossed to and fro on the sea from wave to wave. No stability because you're not grounded. The wind blows, the waves come, and you're just tossed here and there. You start in this direction. Oh, that's not it. No, no, no. Maybe ever try this. And you're just unstable. That's what this word is. The result of the world's wisdom is confusion and instability, disorder as a result. And every evil thing is there. All the worthless waste that this world can produce is what finds itself there at the end of practicing the world's wisdom. That's why even though there's many Christians in the world. Why is it that the, the state of our homes are in disaster like the world's? Because the confusion, the instability, is because we're practicing the world's wisdom and not God's. That's just one example. I've got a few examples here that I wanted to look at. Oh, wisdom from above results in the fruit of righteousness, 
sown in peace by those who make peace. Totally different outcomes. And if you're not experiencing that, if I'm not experiencing that, we've got to say, well, Lord, the problem's not with you. It's not with your word. I'm not following your, your wisdom. There's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that I, I remembered. I used to listen to it all the time. I've forgotten most of the words. It's been so long since I'd even heard it, but I looked it up. I just want to share with you a little bit of the lyrics from that song. It's, it's called, Who Makes the Rules? He says, well, I've been watching us very close, and I guess the one thing that's been bothering me the most is when I see us playing by the same rules that the world is using. Well, I've been listening to the things that we say, and I hear us mention words like fortune and fame, and it makes me wonder if we're sure about the side we're choosing. And that's why I'm asking you, who makes the rules for me and you? When it's wrong or right, is it black and white? Who makes the rules for me and you? It's our life at stake, so we better know who makes the rules. He says, two voices are calling out to you. You're serving the one you're listening to, so tell me who makes the rules for me and you. It's our life at stake, so we better let Jesus make the rules. Great song. But I asked myself some questions, looking through James and the, and the, the areas of life that he addresses, and I said, well, who makes the rules for us regarding some of these things? What are the most important things to us in life? Who makes the rules for us on how we spend our free time, what kinds of TV programs or movies we watch? And who makes the rules for us as what kind of jokes we tell or even laugh at? Or what kinds of things we view on the Internet? What kind of clothes we wear, whether it's around town, at work, a party, or even to the meeting of the church family? Who makes the rules for us in the church on how we organize and lead the congregation? How we address believers that are straying? Who makes the rules for us as to whether we just hang out with our friends or our own age group or whether we reach out to others? Who decides what meetings we come to or don't come to or what ministries we participate in or don't? Who makes the rules as to what kind of music we sing or instruments we play even while we're here, right? Are we following the world's rules or the Lord's? We need to ask these questions. When we're at school or work, do we, who makes the rules as to whether we sit with or don't sit with certain people at the lunch table? Or how we respond to our employers or our teachers, whether they're right or wrong. Who makes the rules as to what kinds of things we say to others or even say about others? Or how about the rules regarding our perspective on credit card use or debt or whether the wife or mother should work inside or outside of the home? Uh, how much to spend on ourselves versus giving to the Lord? Who makes the rules as to whether we claim all of our income on our taxes or do we get paid under the table or whether we inflate our expenses to get a higher refund? Who decides that? Is it the wisdom from above or the wisdom from b- below? How about in relationships, how we handle our anger against those who have wronged us? Or how we deal with conflict with family or friends? Or how far we go physically with that person we're dating? Or where we allow our hands to roam and what is off limits? Who makes those rules for us? Is it the world or is it the Lord? How about in our marriage, how we define the roles of husbands and wives? How we lead or treat our wives, both in private and in public? Who makes the rules whether or not we stay in a marriage that lost its spark a long time ago? Who makes the rules regarding family planning? Who makes the rules for both me and you? You know, it is our lives at stake. And so we need to let Jesus make those rules. I'd like to ask you, like I had to ask myself, when I look at my life, is it showing by my conduct that I'm following the world's wisdom or the Lord's. You know, when Evangelist got done talking to Christian, and he rebuked him, he said, you need to hate the worldly wise man and his counsel 
for several reasons. One, because he purposely turned you away from the Word of God. He hates the Word of God. And he delighted in sending you in the wrong direction. And he said, you should be upset at yourself for accepting his invitation to turn away from God and to reject his word. The cross of Christ that he denied is the very solution that God has provided for our salvation and for our maturity. We stand with Christ. Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's hard to practice God's wisdom. We're going to be fighting like the salmon upstream. But remember, it's not just that they have different origins. They operate differently. And the outcomes are radically different. Let us remember the Creator today, before the days come, when we have no pleasure in them, because we've spurned and rejected God's wisdom. Wisdom said in Proverbs chapter 1, because I called to you and you refused to listen. When you find yourself in that calamity, it'll be too late. And I won't be able to help you. But if you receive my counsel, it'll guide you. It'll direct you. And you'll experience God's blessing. Let's pray. Father, wisdom is what we need. True wisdom from above. It starts with you. You're the one who gives it. It operates differently. And it's against our nature, Lord. We are earthly. We are sensual. We're attacked by the, the devil himself to, to push us in the wrong directions. Would you help us today to look to you for wisdom from above? To be able to turn the course of our lives, to not be instable. And Lord, to believe that you'll give it to us. Because you said you delight in generously giving it to us. You're not going to rebuke us, reproach us for asking. But it'll bring you joy to help us. And so Lord, like Peter who found himself sinking in the water because his eyes were off of you. When he said that simple prayer, Lord, help me, save me, you reached out your hand. And you pulled him up and they got back in the boat. Lord, there's some of us today who need to get back in the boat. Would you help us to repent? To turn back to you and say, Lord, I, I've gone in the wrong direction. I've rejected your wisdom. And I've been living by the wisdom of the world in this area or that area of my life. And I want to I start listening to your wisdom. To let you make the rules. And discover the life that you've designed for me. Lord, if there's someone here today who's still believing the lie of Satan that being good will help them to get to heaven like Pilgrim had received that advice from worldly wise men, would you show them they need Jesus Christ who died for them? Help them to turn to Him today. And for those of us who already know you, Lord, help us to become like Jesus. We ask in His name and for His honor and glory. Amen.